Hey, what's up, world? This is your boy Jeff, the host of Social Conversations, and you're now tuned in to episode 15 and 16. Um, I have some saucy alumni I have asked to come on and express their feelings, but before we get to that, um, through these events that have happened uh, throughout the couple of weeks and months, uh, George Floyd, Breonna Teller, um, First of all, I just want to say rest in peace and also happy birthday to uh, Brianna Teller. And I just want to read something from um, Chuck D from Public Enemy. Uh, he posted, uh, it, really, it really takes a global pandemic with no sports, no concerts, no vacations to get the world to sit down and have no choice but to watch what really is happening to black people in America with zero distractions. What are the odds of that? And most importantly, this is divine intervention. And I totally agree with Chuck D. Um, just to bring, before I bring Kelsey Rodriguez in, I just want to play a little bit of Marvin Gaye real quick. Far too many of you die. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love here today. Father, Father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the answer for only love. Kelsey, you there? Yes. How you doing? I'm good. Working on some stuff. What you working on? Um, right now, I'm preparing my stuff for the week for my students. Hey, cool. So it's like, yeah, so it's like a catch-up week for the students that have fell behind due to um, COVID, so we're not allowed to assign new work, so now I'm, like, figuring out how to catch all these kids up that haven't been able to do work during um, these past two months. And how have you been doing the whole corona era? How hard has it been to um, It's been, just... I feel like <laughs> I feel like it's been it's been an interesting experience overall. Um, you know, you're just going on like a roller coaster of emotions of like being like, oh, this is good. I'm home and you get to do like a bunch of different things. And like, you know, having those moments where you're going crazy because you're home all the time and it just feels like you're 
in the movie Groundhog Day, just repeating the same day <laughs> over and over and over. And right. um, by profession, I'm a teacher. So it's like my whole entire workday is interacting with people every single minute. You know, even like you're trying to get your lunch break and you have students running into your office to try to talk to you. So going from every single minute of my day interacting with people to having no interaction with people only through a screen, um, it took me a long time to wrap my head around that and get used to it. Right. I'm still not used to it. <laughs> I know. I know it's very hard. That's yeah. a scum so weird. I don't know. Hard from working from home. So, um, as you know, uh, the couple of events, mm-hmm. George, George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor and, and all the young um, brothers and sisters dying in the hands of uh, police. Let's let's talk about George Floyd. Did you, mm-hmm. did you see the video? So I actually started to watch it and then I couldn't finish it. So I just, yeah, I just couldn't finish. I watched maybe like the first like 10 seconds of it and I couldn't finish. Yeah, that video is uh, very horrifying. Seeing death like that ain't natural. It's um, not. And actual... um police officer that had his on his neck just uh, just seeing the face expressions and then you have civilians uh telling you to get your knee off his neck and it's telling you that he can't breathe and this evil face that this officer had on is very very disturbing Yes, definitely. And I would also take say like what's even more disturbing is the fact that he can see himself being recorded. You know, it wasn't like it was um, like he didn't know he was being recorded. Like it's very clear, you know, there's times um, at least from like the screenshots because I didn't watch the whole video. But like you've seen like in the, the pictures of people that have screenshotted from the video where the cop is looking directly into the phone of, you know, of the person that was recording him. And it's like that, even, even, even that didn't stop with the fact that there were people around, like none of that registered in this cop's mind of like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, you know? Right. Um, just, just continued. Cause he, in his head, he was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to get away with this, you know? Right. And the other officer was with him. I think, one of them was only on the job for like two days. Mm. And the other one was only on the job for like a month. So the, the guy, the cop that had um the, on George Floyd, he was the training officer. He was training them. Wow. Yes. And the, the scary part about it is that you, you hear certain audio of um the officers telling the training officer, uh, do you think it's time for us to turn him over and the officer that had me on the boys neck telling them no. So they actually doing what they are being told to do. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and it actually um so 
there's like there's studies in like social psychology when it comes um about authority and um conformity and um there's like two different studies that were done and one of them was called the milgram i believe it's called the milgram experiment which is what they did was that they got a couple of test subjects and then they had an actor in the other side of the um of the the glass right and they connected the audio and the people that were coming in they were basically testing like how far someone is willing to go or inflict pain on someone um because an authority figure told them to do so so the whole experiment was the person in the other side of the room had to read words and anytime they got a word wrong the person that was part of the experiment had a shock the um the person that was reading the words and every time they got it wrong they had to increase the level of the shock and um granted the person that was reading the words and purposely reading them wrong he was an actor he wasn't really attached to the shock but it was his job to scream every time he did get shocked for saying the wrong words wow and a large majority of the people in the experiment, like it went from like um, a few voltage to like high voltage that can cause someone to, you know, pass out or really do something to someone, the, the voltage. And uh, I forgot what's the exact percentage of the people that did it, but a large percentage of the people in the study administered high dosage of voltage of shock to the person who was reading the words and because the experimenter who was part of the experiment would, would tell them like even if they wanted to stop they'd be like no you have to keep going it's part of the experiment if they get it wrong you have to shock them and there was a lot of people that continued and continued and would shock them and continue and continue and a few of them got to the um danger vo- voltage to ex- and pressed it and um shocked the person you know hypothetically speaking shocked the person that was um reading the words and it's like this whole idea of like this authority and um people are willing to kind of put their morals aside if an authority figure tells them to do so and not saying everybody because not everybody pressed got to the high voltage you know a lot a lot of people did stop but a majority of them conformed and administered the um the shocks into that the deli version deli parts of the shock which is something that i think it's an it's an experiment that like everybody should watch or like at least like read upon and understand because it really makes you understand um authority and like what we tend to do or what we're willing to do because somebody in an authoritative figure um, position told us to do. Right. And uh, to finish what I was on that work training off, if those other cops were only on the job for a month or a couple of days, can you imagine, I mean, other cops that he trained? Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, maybe the other bad acts that, you know, might have been doing and telling these uh, new trained cops like this is okay to do what you get you actually get to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So it just um just to ask you um, what makes you think that um this time around that you actually get 
some some change? I think that because it's been such a unity between all the states, like it's not, it hasn't just been um, one state, hasn't just been the city of Minneapolis, like it's been all 50 states coming together. And not only the states, but countries from outside, you know, coming together and protesting and bringing awareness to this. So I feel like I, I, I have faith and hope that it's different this time um, when they do go to trial because this unity that has happened across the whole country and across the whole world is something that we haven't seen in a long time. Um, so I think it will be different this time around because of that, because of the unity amongst everybody to, to stand for justice and stand for Black Lives Matter. Oh, seeing um, all four cops have been charged. Um, did you uh, see the video and uh, the protest that's sold right now that actually the governor was and a lot of um, uh, protesters uh, telling the governor to leave. See that video? Um, yeah. How do you feel about that? I, I, I think that the uh, I can understand the anger, but I think the governor actually acted right on this. Right yeah, on. I, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think he did. It's like a, I feel like it's like a double-edged sword because it, he did, but then also at the same time, it did take a lot of protesting to even arrest them. You know, I like, I saw, um, like somebody had posted on Twitter um, talking about like it took like a bunch of states to come together and countries to come together to arrest four people, which is like you know mind blowing when you think about it. Um, so I just I I I can see like both sides to to it. Gotcha. Um, there was um uh, autopsy. There was two autopsies done. Um, one done by. There's one done independently by uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Crump, and uh, there was also one done by the district attorney. Now, yeah. looking at this autopsy, um, they trying to say that um, he was under the influence. Uh, he, was, he was on drugs, and, mm-hmm. and uh, the cops got the call um, that it was a fake ten dollar, twenty dollar bill. He was trying to um, buy something. Um, mm-hmm. Also, some people try to point out, point out on videotape. I didn't see it, but you have people like Candace Owens and other people in and out of the, the community saying that um, before the cops got there, um, there was like a white, like a white baggy thing that he threw away. Do you hear mm-hmm. people saying that? That, you know, it's um, him being on drugs and, and I want one call saying that he was um, he was acting weird outside of whatever supposed to be buying something. That's why people call the police. Like, it's so many stories, you know, you really know what to believe, but 
Yeah. But the autopsy does show that he was actually on um day. So what do you think about it? So I really what like what I think is that it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter if he was on drugs. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. As a cop, as a person of authority, as someone who's supposed to protect and serve, I don't know if that's only for like the saying for um for NYC, but like as someone whose job is to protect the community, it doesn't matter if the person if he was if he was high at the moment. There's nothing that can justify the fact that they murdered him. They right. had him arrested, right. handcuffs on, on the floor. Like, it doesn't matter what what was in his system. Like, at that point, he's restrained. There's no need for anything else. Put him in the, put him, like, there's, there's been people that have murdered, like, like, murdered, walked into schools and shot up schools. And they right. were able to walk out of there with handcuffs on just fine. And so, got like, Burger King me, on top of that. Yeah. To me, the argument of like that, um, the fake twenty, um, and that he might have had something in his system. It's it's it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if he had a criminal record. Right. Nobody deserves to be murdered. Right. Like there, as a cop, you should be able to restrain without killing. Uh-huh. And I think that's like that's like what um, like why everybody's so angry and like why because. Why do you have, like, it's just unnecessary force. So it's, like, to me, the arguments of, like, anything, anything of his past or, like, just anything, um, you know, with the drugs or whatever they're saying, like, there's so many people that have done worse and have been able to walk, you know, and breathe and be okay. And I just don't think that, um, you know, like, seeing from the picture, it's just, like, four cops it was three cops i believe it was three cops on him the one on his neck it was just like so unnecessary and you could t- he he yeah it's just unnecessary yeah i totally agree i just uh people that actually bring out up i just that's you know just totally shit like that really doesn't matter uh yeah that, it doesn't cause- like, you can't you can't talk about oh um well he has um this criminal background uh, he was on drugs, and then say, "Oh yeah, he still deserves justice." So why are you bringing this first part up? Yeah, it's, it's all about the, you know, the murder and the police brutality. Um, it's the whole fact that, like, if he was not black, right? If he was not, did not have that skin color, things would have gone a hundred percent different for him. Absolutely, and that's why we're fighting. Exactly because. How many people with, like, how many how many people have we seen that are um, non-black, that are high off their minds, and the cops peacefully talking to them, and they're um, going crazy or whatever it is? So I just feel like the argument of drugs and the arguments of his criminal past has no, like, no place in what's happening because we all know that the only reason why he is not alive is because he's black. And if he would have been any other skin color, if he would have been white, that would have not happened to him. And that's why we're fighting. Absolutely. Uh, totally. Um, this scene, this watching the, the protests is going on around 
uh, not just the United States, but the world. Um, what what is your on how um, people are being chastised, saying, "Oh, there's good protests," and mm-hmm. also people that's actually taking this opportunity to to loot and riot. Yeah. My, my question to you is: Is there a right way to protest? <laughs> so actually, I asked this question to my students. Um, this was one. This was our our um, our check-in question because I do check-ins with them. Right. So this was my Tuesday check-in question. After like on Monday, I just wanted them to kind of just, um, you know. I gave them a, a safe space to vent and just say whatever they wanted. If they wanted to curse, they could curse and like all this stuff. And then on Tuesday, I asked them because a lot of them were kind of hinting at this, um, that there's like a right form of activism. Right. So the next day I asked them, I was like, is there a right form of activism? And, um, you know, I got a lot of mixed um, signals of like peaceful is the right way and no, burn everything down is the right way. And I think um, when it comes to protest and when it comes to activism, I think that everybody shows it, it different. We are all different. And I think that everybody should be allowed to show it different. Like we, we're at a point in history and in time that we can't tell someone how to feel. You know, so it does suck that there's opportunists out there that have taken the movement and taken what's happening to, um, you know, to loot, to act, to loot, to sell and things like that. But I feel like saying that there's like a right way to to protest or right way to show activism is wrong. I feel like if you're everybody should be able to to express themselves the way they feel is correct, you know, the way they feel they should and if it's yelling and if it's being quiet and if it's just donating if it's reposting um i don't think that there's a right way to do it um because that right way is different for everybody um but it does suck that there's so many people that are being opportunist and um they're ruining for for the people that are doing it for the right reasons yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I don't think there's actually a protest. There are many ways to protest. Mm-hmm. Whether you're out there on the front lines, whether you're taking the, uh, the rebel route and burning shit down, whether you're mm-hmm. on social media, you know, there's different yeah. ways to, yeah, there's different way to protest. And also, people have to understand that when you, when this is built up emotion, people deal with mm-hmm. People deal yep. with things in different ways. People mourn different. Yeah, you know, they do. Some, some people might just, you know, get on their knees and start praying. Then there's mm-hmm. other people that may take their energy towards something else. Whether it's, you know, writing a song or mm-hmm. whether it's, it's actually get, exactly, giving a speech or something like mm-hmm. that. There's different ways how people mourn and deal with certain things in a different way. And I think that I think that has to be talked about more. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like because of social media, so I'm gonna I'm gonna um talk a little bit of my experience real quick with this. So like I feel like because of social media, it's made people feel that there's only one way to do it. 
and I feel like like the first like few um days of um George's murder, like on social media, there was a lot of attacking being done of people that were silent and people that weren't like reposting pictures or whatever it was. And um, I think that social media is a blessing and a curse. You know, right. it's a blessing because it's able to get us, you know, to spread news to a number of people we would have never been able to um, spread what, our message to. But then it's a curse because it creates this mentality of um, you have to visibly show that you're doing something. So um, I was feeling extremely guilty of not being out in the protests and not, I haven't gone to a protest yet. And I was feeling extremely guilty for not um, being out in the streets. And I like had to like really like reflect on myself. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry. Broke up a so little like bit. I really had to reflect on like what's my wow. role in all of this? How can I um be a part of the change and be a part of the movement? in a way that I feel comfortable being a part of the change in the movement in a way that I know I can impact people. And once I like reflected and really understood the way that I can be a part of this movement and cause change is by focusing on my students, is by creating resources and working with my coworkers and my administration to make sure that we are providing a safe space and, a, and providing resources for our students because a lot of them face racism on a daily basis. A lot of them are in um, the cities that, you know, in New York City, they're in the places that um, the protesting is going on. Like, do they understand why this is happening? Do they understand, like, you know, a lot of them have had those experiences with cops and, you know, um, hate cops. So it's like, how do we create a space for them to feel safe. And um, once I understood that that's my role in the movement um, and to not let like social media feel like they're bullying me into like thinking that there's only one way to do things, you know, then I was able to be more effective in what I was doing and not feel as guilty if I wasn't um, out in the streets because right now that's not the way I'm gonna bring change. At least for me. Right. Um, right. I totally agree with you. Um, uh, since you uh, being a teacher, um, how hard it is to explain to your kids if they have saw the video, what is going on? Not just in that video, but what is going on around the world. How, how difficult it is to explain to a yeah. young person don't understand that So I think on. that... Um... So it's 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 crazy, right? Because you had um, COVID, right? That kind of just shook the country, specifically in New York. You know, we we went to remote learning and turned schools a hundred percent virtual in New York City, when we know that a large population of New York City high school students are homeless and don't have access to technology or food, and their access to technology and food is school, 
you know and a lot of times where in the school building is where they get um a lot of the care and attention that they might not necessarily receive at home you know so i so you go right. from this from that doing that and having weeks of kids trying to adjust to being at home and you know not being at the at a place where they might have felt safer which would be like the school building to having to deal with um seeing these murders that have, have happened during quarantine because George was not the only one you know it's not the only viral video out there and then um so in the last um few weeks i've kind of gone like as a as a whole i feel like teachers are are no longer teachers we have become more uh counselors and social workers in a way and um because you're you're more dealing now with the social emotional aspect of remote learning and like having kids being at home and now adding in um these murders that have been happening police brutality and just like the protests the riots and it's a it's been it's been very difficult and i feel like just giving kids that open space and like that safe space where like they can come on and like on video or like on chat because we can't be physically together and just having a space where they can just vent their frustrations and um i know a lot of my students their frustration is is it's not even thinking about the police brutality yet they're not even there yet because they're still they're still dealing with um all of the emotional things that have been happening because of covid and it's just like think of it like when you're in a class and you miss a day or like you miss a couple of days in the class and then you come back and there's a whole bunch of new assignments and now you're like behind and now you have anxiety because you're behind and now you're trying to catch up but then the professor keeps adding more work and then you just start feeling like you're never going to get there you're never going to catch up and it's just like more work and more work and i feel like that's what it's been for our students right now or they're like they they're just like trying to catch up to everything that's been happening and just more and more and more and more um things being thrown at them um so yeah it has it has been very difficult um when it comes to that aspect and like trying to be very and i think like as teachers we just right now have to be super understanding like if things don't get done like classwork because there's so much more right now going on than um our classrooms and it's okay to take days and time of of classwork to just give them the space to 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 vent and just say how they're feeling and like what they want to see different in the world I totally appreciate you. Uh, just being a teacher, you know, just whatever you're doing, being a counselor, being a teacher, a lot of people or a lot of kids also have the same thing at home. Sure, next to these kids, try to explain to them the best way mm-hmm. what's going on, bro. Um, I'm gonna ask you another question. Um, so there's a lot of people out there that are saying that this, this whole well, COVID and 
then you go COVID until the protests and everything. That this is part of a big plan. Do you that's agree part of a what? Sorry, you kind of cut off. Uh, a big plan. You know what? To be honest, I don't even know what to believe anymore. <laughs> like, girl, <laughs> I'm just like, it's like the protest started, and then we had zero zero confirmed deaths in like two months. So, like, I don't even know. To be honest, I don't know. Um, I just think. I just think that so there it it could it could go either way, right? It could be, you know, right, because right. we were so strict with our quarantine guidelines and because you know all the uh, the measures that have been put in place to flatten the curve, you know, these protests um happening now have not caused a spike because as you know, New York when you know extremely hard to make sure that we were flattening the curve right but then at the same time it just makes you wonder you know like wait a minute you know all these people they're not six feet yeah. apart half of them don't have masks on how is it you know that we have zero yeah. it's um, crazy you know so it's yeah, like it's, it, it's, it's right. definitely at that at that point where you're just like i don't know <laughs> i don't know right, what to right. think anymore <laughs> no, i totally agree with you I mean, people, I was like, walking free, well, no mask on. Like, it was videos. totally announced that yeah, COVID is over. Videos, you see videos of, like, people shaking hands and just, like, forgetting. So, you know what? We can we can kind of say, if you look at it, like, in a positive way, like, the protests work. They're working. They're even working to right. move out COVID. You know, right. I really... Because there's millions of people in the street, and if the cases doesn't rise i mean covid yeah. is going down you know? but like we also have to keep in mind that yeah. we did have very strict rules for two months um and we can say that like those 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 rules that we've been following for the last two months can play a role in the fact that our cases are not spiking but we will see right because it takes two weeks right, for right. a lot of people to even show symptoms and things like that. So I guess we just all have to be vigilant and, and see what happens in the next few weeks. Right, right. Yeah, because, you know, you got conspiracy yeah. theories out there. I was saying you got 40 million people unemployed and people who are not minorities are, you know, getting to know how it feels like mm-hmm. to be a minority when you're government assistance and you, know, you just try to you know find your way to explain that and then you got you know uh the whole protest thing you got you know people saying that you know um that they're getting ready for preparing us for like martial mm-hmm. law with Trump yeah. you know, having a curfew and all this stuff. So it, it's a lot of people out there that saying that it's bigger than George Floyd. Which I agree to a certain extent it's bigger than him. Support from the justice, but there's a bigger message as to uh, have accountability when it comes to public office. But this whole, there is some people online saying that um, Black Lives Matter is actually the, the, actually the people who's funding it, it's the Koch brothers. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there's so many things that it's, you know, they talk about this. New World Order, so it, it's so many elements around yeah. what's going on right now. You don't know yeah, I know. Going. That's 
and that's scary to think, right? Like, we don't know what to believe, what's real, what's not. Like, is this all a stimulation? Was there a glitch? Like, what? <laughs> you know, like, it's like you just don't know. Right. Um, But what we do know is that Black Lives Matter. We do know that. Exactly. Regardless of what's happening. Um, right. Um, I was on your social media mm-hmm. page yesterday and powerful oh, poem okay. that you wrote. Yeah. Very, yeah, very moving. Uh, tell, tell the audience about this. Uh, well, for, well, first, tell them your social media page will find you actually mm-hmm. speak the poem and, and tell them the whole inspiration of writing. Okay. <laughs> Um, so my social media is Lee L E underscore F R O S I E Lee Frozy, and uh, my Instagram is all about like empowering um, women to just create their own beauty standards. You know, we've been told too many times for too long that Eurocentric beauty standards is what's beautiful, and I try on my page to make sure that um, we're breaking that and that I'm giving women inspiration for their hair, for their clothes. And just like keeping it really positive on my page and motivational um, with anything that I post. Um, so that's basically the the basis of my page. And um, yesterday I posted a poem called Empowered Afro-Latina. And I actually wrote the poem nine years ago, which is so crazy because nothing's changed in nine years, um, which is kind of... <laughs> Which is kind of sad, but I wrote the poem nine years ago, and I wrote it my junior year of college. And um, the reason why I wrote the poem was because I had um, experience. I had pledged my organization, which is Hermandades en Miotal Incorporada, and um, I had taken a Latin Caribbean studies class for the first time. This was all. It happened. did the sophomore year. So sophomore year, I pledged. Sophomore year, I took my Latin Caribbean studies class. And as a sophomore in college, um, well, even just like when I first entered my college, I went to a predominantly white school, um, University at Albany, and that's not even get started on the craziness that they're doing right now. But, um, you know, I that was like the first time ever that I was introduced to the fact that I was a person of color. Cause I grew up in a neighborhood that was very diverse and I never realized that I had color on my skin or that that was a thing, you know, in my, I went to high school, diverse high school, middle school. Then when I got to college, that's when I realized that like white people look at you differently. <laughs> and when I open my mouth, people, <laughs> you know, they hear my accent and they, they judge you. And like, I never had experienced that till college. And my sophomore, yeah, it oh. was it was so eye-opening that I was different. Like, I, you know, I was so angry, too. I was angry at my, at my mom and my family for never, you know, teaching me that, that I was different, you know? And I was angry. I was right. angry at, at the school and, at, you know, just the fact that they thought I was different and people at the school thought I was different and that there, I felt like there was such a division between the white people and the minorities. And it was just like, you know, just really not understanding what was happening. So my sophomore year, I pledged right. and I took a Latin Caribbean studies class. 
and I learned my history and I learned about myself and I learned about Dominican Republic and I learned that we were black and to me it was just like you know wow I was I felt empowered you know from my first year of being in college and feeling you know unempowered (laughs) you know feeling different and feeling ashamed I would say that's the biggest word I would use ashamed of um, the color of my skin, ashamed of my accent um, and all this stuff. And then, right. you know, I took that class and I was just like, oh, my God, I shouldn't be ashamed. I should be proud. And what? I'm black. Like, it was just like so, you know, mind blowing. It was my spring semester. And I was just so like right. so much emotion, so much things going on. And then um, in my junior year, I decided that, you know, I had. I felt like I was so empowered already and kind of knew who I was, quote unquote. You know, we're still finding ourselves always. So I decided to write this poem that kind of um, put myself into like one, in like if I wanted to explain to someone that would ever come at me for the sound of my voice, for the color of my skin, or even like just anything about me, like what can I, what can I say to people or like what can I write? or have for myself. So if anybody ever questions me, I know how to stand my ground for myself. And I wrote the poem. And originally it was called Empowered Latina because I didn't know the term Afro-Latina existed. I knew I was black, but I didn't know that there was an actual term that could identify my blackness and my Spanishness all together, well, my Latina is all together in one. And um, so originally it was called Empower Latina. And um, once I left college, I learned the term Afro-Latina. And I was like, this is what I am. Oh my God, yes, this is it. And then I started to identify as Afro-Latina and I changed the poem's name to Empowered Afro-Latina because I felt like that was um, a better fit title for it because that was exactly what I was trying to express nine years ago when I first sat down to write the poem so yeah it's um I've only performed it I guess this is my fourth time I performed it once in college and then I've also performed that poem for my students performed it last year and then I performed it a few weeks ago uh, we had a virtual talent show and then I summed up the courage to record myself <laughs> and post it on my social media. But I was very nervous. I didn't even check social media that day after I posted. I was like, I'm not, I'm not even, I don't want to see people's comments. So like this morning where I like started checking people's comments and responding and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very powerful. Thank very you, dope. thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I hope that inspires. Yeah, a, a I was, I, this morning I was like, in tears um reading some of the comments and just like people reposting and just like even like some of my followers who like speak spanish even they were writing to me like i might not understood what you said but i felt what you said and i was like oh okay great like i was i was literally just like so overwhelmed um i want to ask you uh, every every um Black person has a story with the police. Do you have any stories about the police harassment that, that you would like to share with the people? Oh, let me see. Um, I would say 
a lot of my police stories are from college. Um, you know, I went to university at Albany. And like I said, it's predominantly white school. And the cops up there, they're very racist. <laughs> um, so I have, I've had some stories of, um, of encounters. So like one of them... <laughs> This was this is probably like the most craziest encounter I've had. So, you know, in college people throw parties, you know, that's like what you did in college. Right. You threw house parties. And um we actually had um a house party and the cops came knocking at the door and they were like, you know, people noise complaint and then my my friend who wasn't my friends, but like um, he opened the door. He was, of course, black male. Opens the door. Oh. Um, and then he, they were saying, you know, we're getting noise complaints. And then, you know, he's like, he apologized. Um, and then he's like, let us in. And then he's like, oh, you can't come. You know, he told them that they couldn't come in to the to the to the house because you know they didn't have a warrant or anything like that. That will turn down the music. The cops were not really happy about that. So they like just like basically like pushed him out the way and just started macing everybody, everybody just releasing mace. Wow. Or, like not even no questions, no acts. Like they told them we're going to put the music down. Okay. Um, just macing everybody, everybody, everybody. So it's like everybody's like running out the house. You know, people are crying. It was just. And then, like, as we get outside, there's so many other people having parties, you know? And um, it, was, it, was, it was really traumatic. That was the first time I've ever gotten maced or, like, been around mace. And it was just like, oh, worst. my gosh, you know, it's, it, it goes everywhere, you know? You can't breathe, your tears. And um, it was one of those things where, like, we were, we were, there was other people that were going to go to the door to kind of figure out what's going on, like what's happening. They just gave us no opportunity to explain about what was happening or anything. And it was, it was a graduation weekend. So everybody was throwing parties, you know, it's graduation right. weekend. And it was just such a horrible experience. Um, and then I had another, um, another time we were in the car, our friend was driving and, um, he blackmailed and uh, we got stopped by the cops and he was actually the designated driver and um there was other people in the car so what had happened was that um we had gone to pick up some people that wanted to leave um a party so like we went to go pick them up and we were literally a block away from the house and they stopped him because his windows were too tinted and uh -huh. um they looked inside the car. They saw like people were, you know, like that some of the, the girls in the car looked like they had been drinking. So then they started accusing him of being drunk and drinking. So then um, some of us in the car took out our phones right away and started just recording. And they were like harassing him. They made him get out the car. They patted him down. Like, and like that was like my first experience of like, seeing you know you see it on tv and you see you know on social media that cops would do that to somebody of color 
but you don't really understand uh-huh. until you see it, you know. And it's like right. he was literally the designated driver. Like he had not. He came out of his house. He was sleeping. Came out of his house to go because he had an obligation to make sure that everybody got home safe, you know. And he's like telling the cops, putting his hands on the dashboard. It was just, yeah. And they like made him come out. They made him do like all the tests. They had his hands on the hood. Like it was all unnecessary, especially because he right. did not have anything on him or any. And then they basically, and they ended up like giving him a ticket for the tinted windows because that was all they can um kind of give him but like we we were out the car with our phones like we're recording if you do anything to hurt him like we will make this go viral and make sure you lose your job like you know we were just um trying to stand up for him to make sure that he didn't become another hashtag or be on social media or anything like that and this was this was a couple of years ago um that this happened right so yeah i would say like those are like the two big ones that i remember that haven't been it hasn't been directly with me, but it's happened while I'm there in that moment. I mean, everybody got a story. Uh, my story is one of my stories with police is that I think my first encounter with police, eleven mm-hmm. or twelve. I was I was coming from um, where we was actually at the movie theaters. I watched mm-hmm. this first in the courthouse and everything. We were coming back from. And we was walking uh, towards uh, walking towards back to our neighborhood. I grew up on West Sixty Ninth and West Avenue, so all of a sudden, you see about like two cop cars. Um, there's about a good eight or ten of us uh, following us uh, while we was walking home. All of a sudden, one of the cop cars uh, drove right in front of us, um, took out their gun. And, and told us to get against the wall. Mm-hmm. And so they took uh, five of us, um, had to put our hands on the hood um, of the first police car, and the other five had to do the same thing. And if you ever felt a car hood before, uh, the, it's, yeah. it's very hot. <laughs> so I'm, so I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to, like, you know, not to press my hands so far in the hood for because it was burning me and then the cop saw me take one of my hands off and he's like if you take your hand off again I'm gonna shoot you right oh my head. gosh and you I said think you were 12 12 I was 12 years old and then he was like y'all guys like we wasn't even gang it was just a group of us just you know going to, yeah, <laughs> to see a movie we are like just hanging out and police officer said oh yeah I think y'all uh I think y'all big. I think y'all, y'all gang. We're the biggest gang in the city. So always remember that. And ever since then, I stuck with you. You are the biggest gang. <laughs> wow. um, last question. I, I'm bringing somebody on at, uh, mm-hmm. at five. Um, what is your feelings on Trump? Oh. And you only got three that's, minutes. That's one. It's a two-part question. <laughs> Take your time with this one. And uh, the second part of the question, how important is to you for everybody to get out and vote? Okay, so my feelings on Trump. Oh, my gosh. I, I despise this man so much. 
Um, it's like <laughs> I can't even put it into like words. Like the 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 hate. I I usually don't like to use the word hate towards people because in order for you to like hate is a powerful word, right? But like I hate him. <laughs> Like, I just feel like he is not a leader. And he has caused such a... He has made it okay to be racist. He has made it okay to be sexist. He has made okay to have all the isms and the ists out in the world. And, um, and And I just feel like he could have been doing... He could have done so much more. So much more for Corona, more for what's happening right now in his streets, like for his citizens, declaring war on your own citizens. Like there's like not, I cannot find one positive about him being president. Like I cannot. And um, the only thing I would say, the importance of voting, like we all have to show up. Like we have to get this man out of office and I know it sucks it sucks so much that our option is not even good enough you know but anything is better than Trump right now like literally anything because this man is not a leader he has not united the country there is some he has so many opportunities where he could have shown his leadership and unified us as a country and he has done the complete opposite he's a narcissist and he just doesn't he this is this is a game to him this is a a game to him and it's just it's just so embarrassing that he is our president and i just think that we all need to really pull up to the voting booths fill out our mail-in ballots and really really get this man out and then figure out how to um reform the country and and ourselves ourselves you know yeah, I mean that's that's as politically correct as I'm gonna say things about him, <laughs> you know, because well, you know? <laughs> I know, I know you can go in, I know you go in. <laughs> um, I just think it's it's important that like we all we all 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 of us all of us need to vote. We all need to. Facts. Great, Kelsey, uh, our, our Queen, I appreciate you for coming Thank on the show. Uh, anytime. Um, well, I'm working mm-hmm. from home. So um, the studio that we actually was in, when you actually recorded was, it's, it's uh, closed. But once it opens back up, maybe you could come through for another episode, be part yeah. of the panel. Yeah, for sure. Reach out. And bring Frank Nitty <laughs> with you. <laughs> And I said, what's up? I appreciate the queen. Uh, tell the audience where they can find um, you again. You guys can find me at Lee Frozy. It's L-E underscore F-R-O-S-I-E. Lee I Go and support this queen. Uh, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, we are back. Jeff, so it's kind of so great. Special episode. Touching. That's going on right now with other cases like Teller and the protesting. Trump, um, special guest with me.
very close friends, family. How you doing? Doing well. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing good. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I don't want to say it wrong. Hey, say your last name. Chiclitis. Chiclitis. <laughs> Close Did enough. I, it right? I said it right. Close enough. Close enough. Okay. Well, first and foremost, how are you doing? Doing good. You know, um, a little bit in uh, kind of distress, you know, given everything that's been going on from the pandemic to the racial unrest, you know, throughout our country. It's a little bit frustrating and scary. So how you, before this whole uh, thing happened with Detroit, we had the, the corona thing going on. Right. How were you able to deal with the coronavirus and how did it affect, affect you? So thankfully, um, I didn't have any cases in the family. Uh, basically, I stopped working in March, and um, since then, I've been home, which is kind of boring, but at the same time, you know, staying safe, um, actually looking for work at the moment, and uh, just trying to get through every day, you know, trying to have a project to do every day, exercising, trying to keep busy, you know, just making the day go. That's good. Um did you watch the video with, with George Floyd? I sure did. Sure did. What, what was the What was the first thing that went to you? Um, at first, first time I saw the video, I had a sense of, uh, I was scared when I saw the video. I was, uh, I looked at his face, you know, and he was, he was in distress. I mean, clearly the man was hurting you know, and calling out, you know, like can't breathe, calling out for his mother. And just the look on his face uh, was pretty much said it all. It was, it was unbelievable. And after, you know, I felt that sense of fear for him. I also felt like anger, you know, looking at, you know, the, the cop on top of him, you know, doing what he was doing. It was just, it was, it was heartbreaking. It was just heartbreaking. Yeah, it was. Uh, when I first saw the video. It was uh, it was the gut wrenching. It's hard to watch. Mm-hmm. It's not natural. It's not natural watching stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. we have uh, people uh, what telling you that um, to take your uh, off a snack and. Just the the face the facial uh, expressions from this cop, uh, it was like a sick look on his face. Like the more the people was pleading for him to take me off his neck, the more hyper he got. So it's like he had, excuse my name, he had a heart on for it. You mm-hmm. know, it was very, very uh, disturbing. Um, you know, uh, this guy absolutely. Um, this guy, uh, the cop, had the snack, uh, took about four days to get arrested. Um, mm-hmm. did, you, did you think that the, the mayor was only acting because of the outrage? Or actually think that it was actually a process 
of actually leading up to his arrest. Wait, I didn't hear the question. What was the first part? I'm sorry. No, the, the question with the was for the mayor. The mayor, um, it took four days for uh, for them to make one arrest. Right. You, do you think because of the four days of the outrage that was going on, that's why he made an arrest? Or do you think that the mayor was actually in the process and looking at uh, certain evidence to make sure that you actually make an arrest on it? That's a great question. I mean, I feel that... I think the video had a lot to do with, you know, the arrest, unfortunately, you know, it took a video like that for it to either speed up the process or make it more official because I feel because of the racial situation in our country before this incident, without the video, I feel that Perhaps the arrest would have taken way longer than four days. You know, there have been other other instances, you know, going going back to 2000 and, uh, 2014 with Eric Gardner. And then, you know, what was it, 2008 with Trayvon Martin. And there's so many, you know, instances since, since that time where there weren't recordings and the arrest took longer. You know, so this video was a critical piece of evidence that you know they had to they had to arrest him and then also of course you know the demonstrating because there were so many people who saw the video it was clearly an act of murder and after i heard the one of the prosecutors speaking on cnn she's actually um barred in minneapolis um after they moved from a third degree manslaughter to second degree They said they moved it up because with second degree manslaughter in Minneapolis, there's a provision, and I believe it's only in Minneapolis, that when there's second um, degree murder, there also has to be an element of depraved indifference. What does that mean, depraved indifference? It means that somebody kills somebody, not perhaps intentionally, but knowing that if you put your knee on somebody's neck, no matter who it is, that person's going to die eventually. It's like shooting bullets into a crowd. So you might not be specifically aiming for somebody in that crowd, but if you shoot a bullet into a crowd, you're definitely going to kill somebody. So that element was there. So just justifiably, the sentence had to be moved from third degree to second degree. Now, as far as the time lapse, I'm not sure whether it was because of the video. I'm sure that it did help, but, and I'm not really sure if it also helped because, you know, there's a certain time limit in that particular state or what the specific state laws are. But the end, you know, the end result is that this man's going to be put away for a very long time. And hopefully, right? (laughs) Hopefully, yeah, because I mean, in, in these situations, like, I mean, you just never know. You really don't. You really don't. the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. That's very true. That's very, very you true. You thought the same thing. Garner, everything could go uh, well for other cases, too. So we, yeah, exactly. There's been so I mean, many. The, I mean, the, the rushes have been made, but 
fiction too. There's not a lot of good fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm saying that I'm sure there's going to be a lot of evidence, whatever kind of evidence on the other side, you know, trying to defend what the officer did. But I mean, the bottom line is that this man was on the ground, face down, handcuffed, and he was pretty much subdued. And here you are, you're putting a knee to him. And then let's totally back it up. What was he under arrest for? A fake $20 bill? I mean, did he deserve that treatment to begin with for a fake $20 bill? The man went in to get something to eat, whatever it was, not knowing that he was going to die. That, that The way that he died, Jeff, is totally inhumane. All right. You know? uh, there, there are people, right, there are people um, that are inside the community, outside the actually, um, breaking down certain um, events during this whole thing. And there was an autopsy report, two autopsy reports. Yes. So a lot of people made autopsy report. One was an independent um, autopsy and one by the district attorney. Now, both, um, the cause of death was the um, cutting off the certain circulation of George Floyd. But the other things that people are talking about is that he was under the influence. And that's why the police was called in the first Now, my question to you is, does that really matter of if he was on you know, drugs or does that really, or this is a really important thing that has to be added to this case? I mean, you know that the defend the attorneys for the for the uh, police officers are going to include that you know aspect that he was under the influence. But let's 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 analyze this. Does it really matter whether he was under the influence or not? Say he wasn't under the influence, he still right. died of asphyxiation. He didn't die of a drug overdose or any kind of, you know, dr- drinking too much or anything like that. He died from you cutting off his airway. So it doesn't really matter. He wasn't rowdy. He wasn't, so- he wasn't rowdy. He wasn't, he was subdued. You had him in handcuffs. You know, the man, and first of all, if you are under the influence or if you are um, under the influence of some substance or you're drunk, uh, if anything, you're going to be a little bit, off your game. You know what I mean? You're going to be under the influence. Like you, you, all your senses and all your motor skills are not as sharp as they usually are. So he's not in the condition to be fighting. So you put him in handcuffs already. He's subdued. Put him in the car. Okay. And let's call it a day and do what you have to do. You don't have to kill him for that. Right. I totally agree with you. I think there are people out there who, um, who's looking at it at it. In a, in a different lens, mm-hmm. trying to say that it's his fault, but you know, you know, we got people like Candace Owens and saying that he actually feels for George Floyd situation that happened, that we are putting him on a high pedestal, 
and we shouldn't put him on a high pedestal because at basically he's saying he had a criminal background for a bunch of times for gun and drugs possessions and all that stuff. Um, so I, I just think uh, people are trying to it, they don't get the, the bigger picture of it. Mm-hmm. It's not about his background. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about what he was on drugs or whatever. It's all about this man was murdered. Mm-hmm. And what are we going to do about it? Right. Uh, your, what is your um your opinion on how the protests has been going? Uh, we have seen protests we have seen mm-hmm. people looting and everything mm-hmm. uh, we have seen police officers videos actually um video i saw the other day that there was an older older white uh, gentleman and he got pushed it was a buffalo i saw that uh yeah and he hit his head on the ground and then he started bleeding mm-hmm. and he, one of the cops that actually pushed him down that like he was gonna go to his aid but the other cop put and the other cop uh, probably called the ambulance and everything. What is your overall opinion like been going on with the protesting? Okay, it's a great question. Um, okay, so there's like a couple of different types of protests and demonstrations going on, you know, throughout New York City and throughout the country and all that. So first, I feel like there's three different categories with the protests and all that. The first is the demonstrators, the people who are demonstrating against this poor man's death, you know, who are getting out in the streets and want justice and are doing peaceful marches and demonstrations and are just trying to make change. Okay. Those are the people that, you know, I support that. I'm all for that. You know, there's no way to, you know, thoughts and prayers and, you know, all that kind of stuff doesn't work really. It really doesn't work. For change to happen, there has to be some sort of uh, education among people. There has to be demonstrations and there has to be voting. I feel like voting is a key aspect to that. But let me just backtrack and say, so the demonstrators are like the first group. The second group are the, the anarchists. There's a little group that are put into place. Um, I'm sure everybody's aware of that with the leader. His name is George Soros. He's a Hungarian Jew who is anti-Trump, and he has a group of people. They're all dressed in black with hoods. We carry backpacks, and those backpacks are full of rocks and bricks and weapons. And those are the people that are using this situation, using this man's death as a way to try to get away from this whole Trump and move everybody to the left. Okay? And then the third group, of course are the looters, the famous looters. Those are the groups that are really destroying our city. In my mind, looting is never good. I feel, and this is like my heart my heart feeling, um, that I'm not in favor of looting. What is the message of looting? I feel like George Floyd's death is becoming, the message of George Floyd's death is becoming very cloudy with looters. When he first died, they actually looted a supermarket in Minneapolis near 
the place where he died. And my thought was, why are you looting a supermarket? You're destroying the whole community. This is the place where the community comes. They need food. You're taking that away from them. Why are you looting a supermarket? Why are you destroying pharmacies? There's so many pharmacies destroyed. People can't get their medications. They can die. More people will die. You know what I mean? So I'm not in favor of looting, theft, stealing. Why are you looting Macy's in New York City and stealing pocketbooks? What does that have to do with George Floyd's death? What are you accomplishing? The people that are the only people that will benefit from all this, from this demonstrating, looting, rioting, are the ones that go to vote. Clearly, we have an issue in this country. There's a racial divide. I'm 100% Democrat. I I want change in this country, but we're not going to get it by rioting, by looting, by even by demonstrating. We have to vote. That's the only way we're going to see change. Vote and also educate, educate our children, educate each other, talk about it, be about it, love one another no matter what we look like and accept people. That's the only way we're going to see change. That's how I feel. Right. Um, I was actually t- talking, uh, he was actually talking about last hour and uh, uh, somebody had, uh, had well, actually was saying that, you know, when, when you have, have death in the family or, you know, you know somebody that died uh, and all the emotions uh high. Mm-hmm. Um, people deal with mourning in a different way. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying. So yeah. there, there's some people that actually, you know, say prayers and and do other things. There's people that actually, you know, write songs or write poems mm-hmm. or do do different or like paint or like artists paintings and stuff. There. Different ways how to deal with um, when you're mourning something, and or you want to express yourself. Right. Um, I, I I agree with you. I, I don't agree with the looting, mm-hmm. but I, but for me the, the underlying if you if you're gonna if you're gonna loot right. Here, here's another point someone had brought up. You have over forty million Americans who are unemployed, right? Mm-hmm. And this is probably one of the first time, probably since the Great Depression, that people who are outside of these communities, live outside communities, or actually taste on how things are, or like being on government assistance and stuff like that, mm-hmm. getting a stimulus check, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a lot of uh, built up frustration since this whole COVID thing. I think it's very weird how you know you had the whole COVID situation, right? Mm-hmm. So, which affected my family, and then go from COVID, people being in the house, you know, at a certain time and social distancing, and people actually looking at you in a different way. They don't want to be near you. Just a lot of frustration. Mm-hmm. Then you actually take this frustration, and then the whole 
George Floyd thing happens. So people are out of work. Some people can't get access to certain things like medicine. And maybe this is one of why they are looting. So you're saying it's a reaction to what's going on? Not only necessarily with George Floyd, just the whole COVID thing. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a part of it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm saying it's part of it. Okay. Because people people who say these type of things think they're there that there's a bigger plan. Like that there's a bigger reason why this is happening. And these are conspiracy conspiracy theories, right? So Correct. They, when, when people with us having curfew and all like you see see police in riot gear and staying at home because of COVID and yeah, people saying they, they're trying to train us to get ready for um what do you call it? Um at the name of it. Martial law. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about what the conspiracy there is to people say stuff like that, that there is a bigger plan? I mean, that's going to be mm-hmm. war or rich and poor. And the only conspiracy theory is um, that I'm aware of is the that group, the anarchist group, the Antifas that are running around the country and they are promoting that violence and the division in our country as well. I mean, there's so many things that we're, we're not aware of as, as citizens of this country, okay? There's a lot of stuff that the country's hiding from us, that the government is hiding from us, I should say. I mean, look at the thing with the alien conspiracy. Do we really know what is going on? There's something going on, but they, you know what I mean? They don't tell us <laughs> yeah. everything. They don't tell us everything. So is there a conspiracy with that? Possibly. Just like there's a conspiracy, there's like the alien thing. There's a lot of stuff that we're not privy to because supposedly it's classified information. Right. I mean, how are we going to get back to a normal society, both like structurally correct and also like health-wise? I mean, even going going back to what you said about the demonstrating, I mean, just when the cities, you know, were trying to get back on track. I mean, how is the demonstrations and the riots and the looting and all that going to affect our situation with coronavirus? Now, you might say, who cares? You know, a man died. Of course. I mean, I understand that I'm in favor, like I said, of demonstrating. But I'm also in favor of, you know, people living and, you know, also in favor of not more people dying because of coronavirus. You know what I mean? So, um. There's a lot of things that we are not aware of that's going on in our country. What I do know, and I am very aware of, and I'm very disappointed at, is the way that the president has responded to both the pandemic and both George Floyd's death. I was just about to ask you that. (laughs) Yeah. So very, very disappointed on both fronts. I feel with the pandemic, he put into effect a panel of scientists and experts and then really didn't even follow along with their advice. There was division between the, the mayor, the governor, the governor and the uh, the president, the president and the mayor. There was just so much back and forth and so much chaos. Right. You know what I mean? It was so crazy. And then now with the death of George Floyd, I mean, he tweets 
so much craziness, you know, that has nothing to do with, you know, what's going on. As a leader, you're not only the leader of the Republicans, you're the leader of the Democrats, you're the leader of everybody, no matter what race, color, background, whatever it is that live on here, that voted for you, that live here, that, you know, you have to be a leader, you have to lead and be a mentor. You know, he's a clown. I'm sorry, but he is. Yeah, you're right. You know, I've lost a lot of respect for him, the way that he's handled both the virus and the, you know, this racial divide that's going on. So that's where I'm yeah, at. I think, I, think, uh, I think Trump is like, he knows it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Always, even though you had like a team of people who actually um, telling you how to um, deal with a certain virus, you always have to make that last decision. Yeah, I heard what they said, but I think we should do it this way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he, th- he thinks he knows everything, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and I think that's one. That's one of his issues. I think that's going to be down for us because when when I came, when, when Trump was running for president, first of all, I didn't think he was run for president. Mm-hmm. That chance, right? Right. Um, but it was, but there is one thing that I thought Trump actually, um, Trump, Trump actually could have benefited from as from the economic standpoint of him being like that business, that that billionaire businessman, and you know, oh. getting everybody, you know, having the economy <laughs> up and running, and. I just think he missed his opportunity on that, and like as he came into office, it's been it's been but shits and giggles. Absolutely, he hasn't followed through on a lot of the promises that he made on his inauguration speech. One of the things that he said on his speech was, "I'm going to unify the country, unite the country." I think those were his exact words, and he hasn't done that. He really has not done that on any level. He can't even unite his own family. You know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, I feel that, you know, aside from being a racist, he's also a misogynist. You know, he doesn't like women. He doesn't like anybody that's not, you know, an Anglo-Saxon, you know. Um, right. I, I'm a minority, you know, I'm from Europe. I'm not considered, you know, anything special in, you know, the president's eyes either. But it's, it's just the position itself, you know, being a president of this country, you know, it's not just a title. It comes with a big responsibility. You know, you want your people to not just fear you. You want them to respect you, you know, and he doesn't have that. He does not have the respect of this country. And that's where he's lacking. I don't care how good of a businessman you are and what school you came from and all of that. It's, you don't have the respect of the people because guess what? You don't respect the people. So what do you expect from them? Absolutely right. I told you. Um, one last question. Sure. Um, I got ready for the six hour. Okay. Um, one last question. Um, what, is, what is your overall, overall solution? But people who are fighting the good fight should keep doing. 
You mean as far as the George Floyd situation or just generally? Just in, just in, just in general of, of just everything that's going on. The racial divide. You know, it could be George Floyd, James Brown, mm-hmm. everybody out there mm-hmm. on the the same side of doing what's okay. right. Okay. What What is your overall solution? Uh, well, first, right. First of all, I think the, the most important thing is educating ourselves. Not necessarily following the masses, you know, and what my neighbor's doing. Do I believe in what my neighbor's doing? If I do, then yes, I will follow my neighbor and demonstrate. But really believe in a cause and stick to that cause. Educate yourself as to who your um, incumbents are, who who's running for election. And if you believe in that platform, vote. You know, voting is the only path to change. We have to get together. We can't just be on the streets. We have to get together and vote. This is the time. Register to vote. Make a change. You know, otherwise we're going to be here again in November, you know, shaking our heads with this guy still in office. Right. Um, Maria, I, I totally appreciate you for coming on the show. Um, I'm actually recording from my house, but I actually record in a studio um, in Brooklyn. So okay. once that studio um, opens up, back up, and then be a, another invite if you're interested to come by the studio hang out uh, and join us on the panel. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me today, and uh, I wish you and your family continued good health. Same to you as well. Be safe, love, and I'll talk to you soon. Yes, Jeffrey. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Um, bye.